Awoga, this is a 12th cast. Hello and welcome to the live Ganymede and Titan almost instant reaction dwarfcast for series 12, episode 2, the one where everyone's Crichton. Or, as all the cool kids are calling it, Tawek. Tawek! Over the next hour and a bit, as well as giving you our raw and unpolished thoughts on Tawek, we'll be... Yes, we'll be rounding up the latest news that we haven't been asked to write about properly, getting a first-hand account of the Leopard Lager launch, and taste-testing said fermented vegetable drink live on air. That's right, look impressed. Now, it should be fairly obvious that this podcast contains massive spoilers for Tawek. Thank you. So, if you've not watched it on UK TV Play yet, stop listening now. But, if you're still with us, then do get in touch throughout the show via the live chat on our Spreaker page, or by tweeting us at Ganymede Titan. I'm Ian Symes, and my introduction says that I'm delighted to be joined by a full complement of fellow <laughs> G&Ters. However, uh, we're just hearing that John and Tanya are at Target Roundabout. <laughs> they're stuck in traffic. Uh, they're on their way. Uh, but in the meantime, we do have the disembodied voices of Jonathan Capps. Hi. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And we're also joined by a woman who's really stretching the definition of the word guest at this point. Uh, from the official Red Dwarf fan club, it's Joe Sharples. Hello. I live here. Fuck you. Thank you. Um, so, uh, Siliconia, what did we all think of the episode? And I imagine the mood in the room will change when uh, our two other participants turn up. Uh, but, uh, Capsy, what did you think of Siliconia? on this one largely positive but it was uh, but I, I feel like what I saw was a very jumbled one of the most jumbled but also interesting episodes that I've seen for a while so <clears throat> mixed but leading towards positive let's say okay Danny I think yeah quite a similar sort of place really I mean I, I enjoy I watched I've already watched it twice and it, I did join much more on the second viewing um it did feel like, yeah, it was really weird because it felt like a new episode, but it also felt slightly classic in a few different ways. I don't know if it might have been to do the back references, but it was a good episode. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely, it, I'm still processing it. There's some bits that still bother me, but that that's, that's stuff that we'll, we'll, be, we'll be discussing anyway. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe, what was your initial... Um, well, I saw this one filmed, um, oh. and uh, I did notice a few people last week when I was asked what I thought of it, I sort of went, yeah, and I wasn't particularly committal about my opinion, mainly because I couldn't quite remember <laughs> what my opinion was. Um, <laughs> I I do, I, re- I liked it, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's the best episode. Um, I think it has had a lot of hype because everybody wants the 
everyone loves quiet an episode. Uh, everyone is quiet an episode. <laughs> everyone loves quiet. Everyone is the new love. is the new spin off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but I enjoyed it and I genuinely laughed at various points and yeah. yeah. I about halfway through watching the episode, I think it was the bit where Rimmer is is happy with his job mopping. I was watching it thinking. This is one of the best episodes of the Dave era. This is proper, proper Red Dwarf. And I think by the end I'd cooled off a little bit, but I'm still really, really positive about this episode. It would seem more so than the majority of the people on G&T in general online, because this has been a very divisive uh, episode, to say the least. Yeah. I think it's... um, I mean... Ideally, we need John here to counterpoint our general positivity, (laughs) which I'm sure he will. Um, But yeah, it's quite a long, it's quite a short episode. I mean, I think that the ring time is like 24 minutes or something, but it does feel like quite a long episode. It feels like there's a lot in it, considering how you know it's just a standard length episode. It does feel a bit longer than a a normal episode, really. Is it really 24 minutes? Because That's what I, well, I was. I was worried about being able to watch it before we did this, and I was looking on the skybox and it said twenty four minutes. I think twenty four minutes. Maybe I'm wrong, but it did seem. I was like, oh, that's quite short, but it doesn't feel like it. You know. I think it. Well, that's, I mean, they could really done without five minutes. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how accurate that is. To be fair to you, because uh, I remember <laughs> seeing twenty seven or twenty eight minutes on my skybox, so maybe. Oh, maybe it's 28 minutes then. Maybe it's slightly shorter than that. It basically felt longer than half an hour. I think that's, yeah. that's, that's why that's one of my main sort of thoughts. The internet are telling us uh, quite conclusively that it's 27 to 28 minutes. So, uh, shit your face. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, it does pack a lot in to that extra three minutes that it's just found. Uh, it, there's a huge scope to it, a huge scale to it. And... Um, and great location work at um, at what's it place uh, Sudbury Pump House, uh, yep. which is the the same location as Justice, pretty much exactly. You know they walk through those bits with all the green pipes, but obviously dressed very and differently. Give and, take. Uh, and can of worms, I think. Yes, bits of that were there, and bits of that were at um, Farley Power Station. I think Give and Take was Farley Power Station. Oh. Um, I'm not sure about can of worms. Oh, sorry, Yes, you should be sorry. But yeah, it's... Uh, the. I found that the the main criticism that people have of it, which I think is valid to an extent, is that it's not the funniest. Uh, but I think there are, there are sections of it where being funny isn't necessarily the main aim of it. Uh, there's bits where it, it allows the characters to be explored and it allows a few serious points to be made. Yeah. which I really enjoyed and I didn't notice that I wasn't finding it funny because that wasn't what it was trying to do. Yeah, the, the bit yeah, with, with Rimmer. Sorry. Sorry, that's just entirely my fault. Um, uh, the bit with Rimmer where he's like, you know, I, I like it. I like being like this. I don't feel, I you know, like he, fe- he felt happy and he felt at like peace being like that because he's so, he has so much like stress and tension built up in him all the yeah. time was really, yeah, it was really lovely and completely, like, believable true to his character. Yeah. Uh, what were you about to say, Kepsi? Well, I, I was going to say there was um, there was a comment early on in the Let's Talk About thread, I think from Pete, he's usually the one we quote. It says <laughs> it, 
because it wasn't it was as if it was almost not trying to be funny and i think i mean there's there's loads of bits where i laughed i think i laughed about as much as i did with um with cured yeah but th- there is a definite definite conscious effort to give something a little bit more um or, or, you know, less reliant on on a gag rate, really. Apart, and maybe that's why Milf got stuck in there to kind of maybe <laughs> redress some of the balance. But you know, um, I, it's, it's definitely deliberately wanted to be very character focused and and almost vi- you know visually focused as well. Yeah, um, epic, epically focused. Let's say. I think the the point you make about Milf uh, potentially being a bit tacked on. I think that's how I'd describe it. It wasn't. Yeah. I d- I wasn't offended or upset by it or anything. I didn't think it was it was bad per se, but I don't think it bared that amount of repetition. It wasn't. I mean, there's a difference. Yeah. There's a difference between milf and clitoris, where even though <laughs> then there's a sentence, but even though the clitoris joke was obviously deliberately contrived, and that was the point. The MILF one, it wasn't a complicated enough acronym. It was like, for for it to justify being repeated so often. I think it would have been a much more subtle joke, certainly, if no one had pointed out that uh, that MILF was yep. funny. <laughs> it was when uh, the guy introduced himself as being from the uh, Mechanoid in- Intergalactic Liberation Front. Yeah. And then Crichton said, MILF? Yeah, which was unnecessary. Yeah, I'd have preferred it to sort of let us work it out ourselves. Yeah. But then that that gag, that reveal, was kind of spoiled about ten months ago by Craig Charles in an interview. So. Yes, that's just true. <laughs> but yeah, like if if Crichton hadn't have pointed it out there, and then it had been mentioned later, just as they were talking about stuff, or like when they were chanting when they were like going into battle or whatever, then I think that would have been fine. I think it was the fact that it was explained yeah. in the first place, kind of just tainted by attitude towards the joke. Yeah. Like, it wasn't hilarious. It was funny, but it wasn't, like, the best joke ever. But having it spelled out, literally spelled out for <laughs> yeah. us, um, yeah, wasn't ideal. No. Um. So what did we think of... The uh, first, let's talk about the looks of the uh, the three crew members as mechanoids. Because obviously, like we'd seen pictures of it before, I still think Craig looks really weird in a way that I can't quite put my finger on. Yeah. He doesn't. Um... So I think what it is, I think what it is with Craig is Craig has a lot of lines on his face, like a lot of lines on his forehead and a lot of lines around his nose and his mouth. And I think when that's all been smoothed out, yeah, into a mechanoid head. There's a lot of Lister's kind of just, I don't know, there's a lot of Lister's character that's just lost immediately by the fact that the, the face is so smoothed out. And you can tell it from his eyes, and even his mouth was struggling. Yeah. But it was his eyes were the thing that sort of made you realise it was Lister. Or Craig Ram, be essentially yeah. similar as, um, like, they didn't match his skin tone quite right. Yeah. I'm not sure. Danny's Danny got a very distinctive face anyway, but... That would have been the first clue, like in still images, that that would have been the first clue. Was like, okay, that one's Craig, or that one's Lister, but it was never, it, it, it never kind of stood out. It never seemed to match him. Also, yeah. Craig has very distinctive hairstyle and a very distinctive um, face silhouette. Like his ears are, are a particular kind of feature of his face. All that is gone when you don't have, when yeah. you've just got a Brighton head. So 
all of the all of the sort of features and stuff are just are just kind of missing all of the kind of traits and the you know the the um the idiosyncrasies of his face are just missing i think that's what it is and when craig was turning into a robot he was pulling he was really trying to pull that mask apart yeah <laughs> there was a strange bit where when um he goes to sort of rescue Crichton um after he's had his hand chopped off and he runs in and Crichton's having his beret put on. You can see his eyebrows through the mask somehow. Like they yeah. clearly had problems around his eyes and maybe like, that must have been like towards the end of the mm. session. How much of it was this, um this... Go on, Kepsi. I was just gonna say this sounds like fancy pants H D problems to me. I did I didn't <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, still not full HD on the Sky version, but better than the uh, than the web version. Uh, Joe, how much of it was um, studio was live on the night, and how much of it was VT? Um, they didn't do any of the them actually being Crichtons. That was yes, already done. that would make we, sense because of makeup timings. Uh, they filmed the um, the counselling group on the night because that didn't have any of the cast other, yeah, other than Robert yeah. in there because um, they there was a running gag at some of the recordings um, which is that um, Ray Peacock slash Ian Boldsworth um, <laughs> finds um, Robert Llewellyn a bit creepy in the mask and so Robert got that whole group um, that were in the cancelling to basically all go over on mass and just hug him which is <laughs> pretty good Sadly, Nathan wasn't there to get a photo of that, but <laughs> it happened. I was there. Um, but yeah, the counselling group was there, so there was obviously a lot of sort of uh, Crichtonified extras. Yeah. But them being Crichton, that was all done like pre-record stuff. Yeah. Which makes sense because they had to do the stuff where they weren't Crichton in front of the audience because they're not actually Crichton for that long. Really? It's the second half. It's the ad break is when they get turned into. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a sort of time jump there between them being turned into Crichtons and them doing their Crichtons duties. <laughs> I mean, mechanoids, not Crichtons, but come on. Yeah. It's the one where everyone's it's Crichton. It's the one where everyone is a Crichton. Tau heck. Um, but, yeah, no, I was going to say before about the Craig thing was the thing that, that kind of makes him look strange to me is the fact that he doesn't seem to have a neck. I've never really noticed. <laughs> I've never noticed Craig. Like, does he have a really short neck? Because, <laughs> like, all the others seemed fine, but his head seemed to be really jammed into the body of his, like, Crichton suit. <laughs> and so he's, like, walking around and just a head straight into shoulders. Like a Santaran. <laughs> yes, like a Santaran. <laughs> a little scared Santaran. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that's one of the reasons he kind of looks a bit odd to me because he just looks like he's kind of crammed in there. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Chris, for yes. example, <laughs> is Chris just was... has Chris Barry's face. It's amazing, really. <laughs> yeah, he does look very. Yeah, I quite like the little touch that where where he was. He started off as as Rimmer 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 Crichton, um, and then as he was enjoying it more he suddenly went into a Robert Crichton voice mm. um, like the little switch was quite nice I like that 
Yeah, I think varying degrees of success on that. Yeah. Uh, throughout the three of them, they had, they, you know... I think, I think it was really certainly done at the start, like straight after they'd been um, transferred into their new bodies. Mm. Their speech patterns changed just sort of imperceptibly at first, but it's... They all said, oh, goodness, or yeah. or things like that, and they stopped using oh, contractions. <laughs> yeah. They stopped using contractions, so they'd say, do not, or, or will not. Or, or what can they be doing to him, type thing. Uh, it's just, yeah, the rules of sort of mechanoid speak that we haven't really thought about too much, because it's usually only Crichton, you know, there's only a there's Camille and Butler, are pretty much the only mechanoids of that ilk that we've seen. Yeah. But, yeah, there, there are rules to how... Crichton's dialogue works in, in what he does and they all started to slowly take that on but I think yeah I don't know whether it should have been a full Crichton impression from Chris yeah. is my only thing on a kind of character level um, like he, sh- he he wasn't he wasn't becoming Crichton he was becoming the mechanoid version of Rimmer mm. so I wonder if he should have it should have been less of an impression because because the other issue well, with that about, is that was, it, it meant that um, Craig and Danny also had to kind of do impressions and that they're, that's not their strengths. <laughs> not their strengths. Go on, Danny. Well, I was going to say, I think it's just the fact that Rimmer seems to have accepted the programme much quicker than the other two. Yeah. Um, and I think it's as part of that programme that they were, I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of putting fan of this, but basically it's like, the, the way that the the way the software works is that basically there's a speech pattern and it's like that becomes when the actual mechanoid has been you know fully transferred and I just think because like I said like the Danny sort of adopted the voice later on and so did Craig when he kind of you know when he went down into the sort of reset essentially and came back up and then he had the you know the American Canadian accent whatever yeah, yeah it was. Um... Yeah, it t- it totally made sense to me that that Rimmer was the one to go first. Yeah, definitely. And that was it was just, that was the most impressive part of the episode for me. Really, uh, was Rimmer's sort of speech about how he wanted to be a fish when he was younger. It, it that really worked for me. It was kind of his equivalent of um, Lister's sort of moment of of self actualization in Back to Earth. Which is the most successful bit of Back to Earth for me is Lister's yeah. story in there, um, playing to those character beats, him sort of figuring out who he is and and what's wrong with him. Basically, um, it was really it was really smart and insightful. And also later on, I liked um, Lister and Crichton sort of telling each other how they felt about each other, and um, Crichton realizing that he's not a slave; he's he's there because he cares. Yeah, it was some of it you could. I, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate. You could say that it's a bit on the nose, and that you know, hmm. it was it was done in, with broad strokes. But I think it works. I yeah. I, I, I found mean, myself quite touched by it. I really liked when Lister said, "Like you're my mum," and I was just like, "Because he totally is." Yeah, <laughs> Crying is totally Lister's mum. Yeah, yeah. That whole that whole um, chat with Lister and Crying at the end was really nice because mm. it. it, it it wasn't just a way to wrap up the plot and get Crichton to realise, you know, that he enjoys his life or anything like that. It was all all perfectly made sense and all resonated with everyone watching as well. It's like, oh yeah, that is exactly what this you know who this character is, and it just it it felt well 
learned over the over the years really rather than just something that was there to shift the plot along. Uh Don Chandler has uh, pointed something out in the chat which uh, I've been rather stupid not to realise <laughs> may have been a reference. The thing about Rimmer wanting to be a fish. like th- There is precedent for Rimmer oh saying God. that he is a fish, for instance. <laughs> 400 times. <laughs> so that's like an unconscious want to just be a fish and he wrote it out 400 times yeah. before he passed out. Like he's having a horrible, stressful time and he's yeah. just like, oh, I want to be a fish. It's like automatic writing. Oh yeah. That is hands down the best callback. If that is a callback... <laughs> 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 well, there was a lot of callbacks in this episode, yeah. uh, which we might yeah, come on to in a bit. But yeah, it would have it's it's a retroactive sort of um, con- well, not a retcon as such, but it's a retroactive interpretation of why he wrote "I am a fish," uh, because that originally appeared in a Freshers sketch in sort of cliche uh, that one of the characters oh, yeah. in that had written "I am a fish." So unless the same thing applied to that character, <laughs> it, w- it wouldn't have been in Doug's mind when they wrote the end. But. <laughs> He's now retroactively no, yeah. decided that that is the reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with that, and I can't believe that <laughs> no one, none of us <laughs> thought of that. Good work, John Chandler. <laughs> to be fair, what I was almost too tired when I was watching it. What I was thinking of more, though, was not about... Because when I was hearing that little speech, I wasn't thinking about the fish thing. I was thinking about Lister wanting to be a squirrel. Yes, there's that as well. Yeah, that's what it reminded me. That's what uh, got distracted by that. I didn't think about the fish aspect. I was thinking, are you lucky little sod? Do you like your job and all that stuff? (laughs) Uh, Someone said the best reference... James said the best reference was the one to Pete Part 2. I can't remember one. Was the one? Or is he doing a joke? I think he's doing a joke. Are you doing a joke, James? Are you doing a joke? Save those those for your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This is a serious podcast. (laughs) I'll have no humour here. <laughs> uh, yeah, there were callbacks ahoy. Um, there was the Om song, of course. Uh, James is saying Legget Mode. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was, yeah. Oh, well. So forgettable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all remember that classic moment from Beat Part 2. <laughs> Isn't that Follow the Vimashade Blur, or is it both? I think both. Crichton says no. Legget Mode, sir. Right, yeah. okay. What a shit episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about, what, what Thanks for reminding us of that, anyway? James. So... <laughs> what were your other references? Uh, Omsong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously. There was one, I was going to come to this in small points, but I'll make it a bigger point, because um, uh, we've just heard that uh, Tanya and, <laughs> and John are about five minutes away, so... This is uh, the format slightly on its head. But yeah, this was um, something that we sort of worked out between us on uh, on G&T earlier. Um, between Plastic Percy, uh, the aforementioned James, Sound of Objects and Daryl, uh, we figured out that uh, Hey Baby, Don't Be Ovulating Tonight, the, um, <laughs> the other Lister classic uh, that Crichton mentions, uh, was a reference to Infinity. Uh, when Lister orders uh, Crichton to chill out... Um, it's page 211 of Infinity, if you want to check at home. Uh, when Lister is ordered, is ordered Crichton to chill out, he goes to the Copacabana Hawaiian cocktail bar. And uh, I quote, The music playing was Hugo Love Pole's sexy ballad, Hey Baby, Don't Be Ovulating Tonight. Oh, fucking hell. Oh my hell. goodness me. Uh, we've, just, we've just heard that John and Tanya are at the door. <laughs> 
but so <laughs> there's somebody at the door. Oh, somebody at the door. It's it's Sammy the fucking chamois. <laughs> Now, what pissing time do you call this? I hate right, my twenty-five. <laughs> right, um, you're live on the internet. <laughs> Please feel free to swear. Bollocks. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please bear with us while we uh, we get John Tan to sit down. Uh, did you like this episode? I'm sit next to Ian, John. <laughs> oh God, I have no idea. No pressure. <laughs> um, here. Right, yeah. is that Ian. okay? Yes. Right. It's John Hoare, everyone. Hello, everyone. And it's Tanya Jones. Hello. Oh. Uh, no, I don't want to say hello to you. Fuck off. <laughs> um. Oh. Uh. Well, well, let's catch you up. Yeah, please do. We've gone around. We the have room. been listening. We have listened. Oh, good. Oh. We're listening in the car. <laughs> so we get a general gist. Yeah. So we're all fairly positive about this episode in general, with a few caveats. Uh, but we're wondering if this. Uh, the more divisive aspects of the episode will be touched upon now that uh, our, two, our two new attendees have arrived. I thought there were loads of really good ideas and I thought it really fell apart in the last ten minutes, is what I would say. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, and um, quite boringly, I probably think exactly the same. Um we now have live reshuffling of chairs. Uh, <laughs> really interesting um, ideas and bits in it, um, but uh, I f- I think it suffers from uh, a, a a kind of lack of doing it properly. Right. Which I know is it's, it's a ridiculous phrase. Oh, <laughs> struggling to explain exactly what I mean. I think um, there there are leaps in that plot and things not done properly, things not explained fully. That you, I got the feeling sometimes that I was seeing a kind of school reenactment of a dwarf. Episode because there were a couple of bits where they're going over that and oh oh well, right now uh, it brings back to normal. Uh, hang on a minute. <laughs> I mean, whatever you know, it wasn't quite a physical transformation as such, but what what they were doing was fairly major, hmm. um, and it didn't really convince that them turning into quite an all transplanting their brains into quite a, or whatever they were trying to pull off there because I don't think they just looked like they were having their hair done really. <laughs> well yeah it looked like a hair I think it was fairly clear what was going on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were downloading their brains and transferring them downloading their brains and transferring um, and yeah it, it was all it was a little bit um, I, I felt like I was being asked to and use your and okay fine well <laughs> I mean um, there has to be a certain level of suspension of disbelief because that's that kind of technology does not exist mm. so like, I, if, I, they, if they kind of say that's what it is then you, you kind of have to go I with see it. I am explaining myself badly I knew I would <laughs> um, it's not about me going I must know everything otherwise that's not real um, <laughs> no it's not that silly well, um, what I mean is 
that I felt, I mean, it's, I've seen things like that and I've seen plenty of the sci-fi stuff in my time and uh, I've seen it done better. Uh, and here I felt it was all a little bit kind of... Like maybe that it wasn't treated as seriously as it should have been because it's quite a major thing. Yes, I think that's what right. I'm getting. Okay, well, I get that. Pete yes. Part 3 says, uh, apparently he knows what you mean. He <laughs> says uh, it it lacked the weight of such a big idea. Is uh-huh. that what you're kind of getting yeah. at? Yeah. See, people have been able to explain it much worse than me. <laughs> You've only just arrived. You've been <laughs> stuck in traffic <laughs> for an hour. So. I'll tell you how, how what I'll came to tell mind. You. I'll tell you what came to mind when watching it. Remember all those many years ago when we were talking about give and take? <laughs> and my problem was that I don't think they put across the time travel very well. I got the time travel, but I was missing the shot that told me time travel was taking place. Instead, they went time to the back of the set. The give and take. Did I say give and take? Yes. There wasn't time travel and give and take. Twentica? There was. Was there? Which one's give and take? <laughs> oh yes, the time travel at the end. Oh, yes, yes. Um, we are so unformed tonight. <laughs> um, but my point about that is, they didn't sell the moment of time travel. What they did is they went to the back of the set where it was quite dark, yeah. and they did a bit of jiggling. Yeah, that's a lot of my problem here. I don't think the storytelling felt very clear. Right. In a lot of ways. So there was lots of really, really good ideas to me. But weirdly enough, the shots that felt they should feel iconic that were telling this story didn't feel quite right to me. And I spent a long time tilting my head and squinting and getting confused. And I wish I didn't because there was a lot of stuff I really liked. For my money, the um, what I heard you talking about earlier with the um, Rimmer, there's quite yeah. stuff... My favourite bit of character work in the Dave era. Yeah. Yeah. By far, actually. Um, Everyone raves about the Rimmer character work in the beginning, and I've never really quite gone with it because it's all felt quite obvious. Yeah. And this felt right, but also non obvious. So it's like you look at it and you go, man, of course that's how he would have been but i would never have predicted that in a million years which is the best possible kind of character work yeah. something that makes sense but which surprises me at the same time and i really wish they'd just actually done that properly well i saw, <laughs> and carried on i saw a, a criticism uh from uh it was pete again on gnt earlier and yeah. um i saw i i had this in mind when i was re-watching earlier yeah uh, which is that rimmer's story doesn't really finish no. Because the sort of the plot takes over, yeah. and uh, he doesn't make the decision to become Rimmer again. Yeah, no. uh, he, He's ordered to. Yeah, yeah. It, it that it kind of doesn't finish that thread, yeah. which yeah. I wish he hadn't bloody pointed it at because <laughs> I really liked it yeah. until then. Well, who, who was it on uh, Ganymede Titan who said there may be a smaller story of um, the one where Rimmer's Crichton might have mm. ended up being better? And I had that in mind when I was watching it the second time, and I really think that's a very uh, cool. yeah a reverse DNA yeah uh, one way rather than three ways because man there's there's so much they're trying to fit in as well. I mean the other thing is it, there's I think I think they tried to do too much for half an hour, mm. which is better than trying to do too little. <laughs> Naming no 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 episodes <laughs> I can think of. Um, so in many ways that that's that's an improvement, but. Um, Man, they were trying to do a lot. Yeah. And... I would definitely agree. Yeah. 
Kepsi with what? I think a lot of my positive um, feelings about the episode is everything that, everything that Doug was trying to do, everything that was done, I felt was done incredibly well. The The, the big thing was a lack of time, a lack, lack of space, especially towards the second half, that ended up doing the disservice to everything. It wasn't anything... Like, I, I didn't have any problems with the performances or the right. Well, I guess the writing is, you know, linked to pace, but you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it is such a shame that there was just too much going in, and this this Rimmer character moment or the, could be an entire plot, an entire episode, yeah. yeah, with none of the other stuff, and it's still being completely packed. So it does it does feel like a shame almost. Because God, of um, course, Rimmer would would start following the rules. Of yeah. course, that's what he'd do. It's what he wants. <laughs> yeah, he oh, wants to be told what to and do. Just the idea that he would be so much happier doing that. Oh, I just I. I, I really want to like the episode more than I did purely for that. I I do not agree with any of the with well a few but mostly I don't disagree with any of the criticisms that I've heard at all. Uh, but I still like it, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether it's just goodwill. I think it's, it's certainly at a point in the episode I was thinking, wow, this is brilliant. This is proper good and it was yeah it was Lister making sugar puff sandwiches and them all subtly I really like and people have criticised them but I really like Lister's repeated X my Y and call me Z's Uh, (laughs) fuck my ass and call me a bitch whatever it was Uh, they all work for me the audience laughter on them is negligible on any of them actually on a lot of the episode I would argue the audience laughter track is not particularly strong which I don't think is necessarily a criticism no I wonder how much of it is to do with the fact that all the stuff of them as Crichton's was on VT it had a very body swap style audience reaction yeah kind of detached yeah Um, with with the exception of um, the uh, vending machine bit and body swap which is which was which was a different series several years ago 1989 <laughs> so uh, yeah sorry yeah uh, have you missed me <laughs> <laughs> the uh, one of the standout comedy scenes though was uh, the therapy scene yes which is one of those unusual scenes I wonder I, I want to hear what you two made of it because John in particular you've often liked scenes that don't particularly involve the Red Dwarf cast where, where you know the, the onus isn't on them to be the funny ones and the guests can I, I liked it. I mean, I wasn't on the floor laughing, but yeah. I, I liked it. Um, I think it's interesting in that I've seen a few people say uh, that they felt a little uncomfortable with the scene. I do understand that. And yeah. I get it. Um, I think the reason I wasn't uncomfortable with it was that it felt true and it felt real and all right. They're having a bit of fun, but it is a sitcom. Yeah, but it's not a cheap joke. It is in absolutely works for the the character and for the moment and for the story they're telling. It progresses the plot. So I think I'm fine with it. I'm absolutely fine with it, and I I I enjoyed it. It's the standout scene of the episode. Clearly, I think they might have. It might have been a little. It might have been improved upon. So I didn't hate it at all. Um, might be improved upon if they had maybe had had it led by uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, Crichton. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and props to having 
um, Jean-Paul Sartre character because <laughs> it's quite a retro reference. Well, all his mates were French. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I quite enjoyed it um, because it's it was correct. Uh, I'm no great student of John Paul Sartre, but um, <laughs> I I know <laughs> I know he's an existentialist. <laughs> I know an existentialist reference when I see one, <laughs> and I was pleased to see it. It, it felt very um, like I've slagged off Red Dwarf for its politics before, um, especially Dave Red Dwarf here yeah. for its politics, but. This... Well, you've got so much Top Gear on the channel that it's going to seep through. <laughs> but this, uh, but this felt um, very um, correctly politically aware in yeah. a way that I thought was very good. Well, Ooh. well, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only um, reservation I've got from all that is that the the line that says, "Just remember, it's not my fault." The fact that that's a, a something that is said a lot by abuse victim sufferers. It's yeah. yeah, it's it's something that I think um, people who don't don't approve of people healing or <laughs> getting better or dealing with what horrible things that happen to them. The, the one thing that tends to kind of come up is this idea that people who are seeking to do that um, are seeking to. Um, seeking to avoid blame for any of it as if as if you know if you've had something horrible happen to you as if you're likely to walk into that or or provoke it it's it just had that connection in my head and i'm not really sure doug meant that because i'm sure he didn't it maybe didn't need that line it just just, i don't know because i don't feel like that was the target of the joke i don't like i think it all kind of it was part of making that process, um, like of getting that realization process for Crichton, that all of these other droids had gone through, like basically what he was going through, and, mm. and making him make those those connections. So I don't feel like I think that's what like why I kind of enjoyed it. I don't feel like it was poking fun at therapy, and I don't think it was mm. anything like that. It would, like I say, it, it was moving the plot along in terms of, mm. of Crichton's realisation. Um, and I did very much enjoy Excalibur. I like yeah. <laughs> no, I don't We think have it... sensible shaped heads. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's a lot of... Um, I don't necessarily think that that's, that was the intention to poke fun. I, um, I, I am quite interested in, in the fact that everyone in the therapy session was kind of that, that it was self-actuating phrases though they were repeating self-actuating phrases not my fault we've got sensibly shaped heads blah, 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 blah. um and uh, all the sort of stuff that people do to try and reverse uh horrible stuff that's been head said to them throughout mm. their yeah. lives um so yeah it's, it's one of those things where it's um it feels like uh Sometimes um, Doug uh, entirely to his credit kind of takes on big concepts like this. Um, and it's just interesting that uh, sometimes I, I feel it's sometimes a bit clumsily done. Mm. Uh, and, but it's not, it wasn't a scene where I would um, single it out and go, Oh, he's doing X because I don't think that was necessary in yeah. that case. And he's in, entirely 
um, entitled to the benefit of the doubt on that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's not a major one. It's, put it, it's put not it. as bad as some of the issues that we've had in the past. Um, <laughs> or indeed, milk from this episode, which I fucking despise. Oh, I really? really? Don't like it. I yeah, I hadn't previously thought of the connotations of the word of the phrase milf mm. um which i cut was it daryl was pointing out on gnt earlier the kind of the negative way of reading it is it was daryl yeah, yeah the the default for our lord women. and savior daryl yes <laughs> the best red dwarf argument or whatever it was that uh, <laughs> digital spy called him yeah the the you know the milf is is offensive because uh, it assumes that the default is that no one wants to fuck older women <laughs> Yeah, that's oh, that's older a, women and mothers. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. True. And there's, oh, th- I mean, there's also the thing that, that in the porn industry now, unless you're Jimmy Savile, you're having sex with a milf. That's literally what it's come to. If you're <laughs> if you're if you're eighteen, if you're having sex with an eighteen-year-old, she's called a milf. <laughs> I I browse enough pornography to know this I, is an I, absolute I, fact. Which I which I presume is an, an attempt to widen your audience. <laughs> People type in but, MILF and then suddenly there's someone who's at college. But, I'll, but I'll, I'll tell you why I didn't like it. Because I don't think Doug um, or the show is doing anything particularly um, unpleasant with the term. Um, I think it's a shit joke. and not, <laughs> But also not only a shit joke, but a shit joke done three or four times. Yes. And a shit joke that was explained. <laughs> I, could have, I could have done definitely without the repetition yeah. and without the explanation. I think if it was just a kind of, I said it earlier, but if it was just an unspoken thing. Yeah, it would have been. Where that was the abbreviation, but no one pointed it out. Yeah. That would have been a joke. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to it not really being a joke. Yeah. But the other thing, the main thing I don't like about it is not that Doug was using the phrase in a bad way, but the problem is I, because I don't like the term. Yeah. Every time the episode, someone uses it in the episode, it's like something from over there being teleported into the episode. And it's not like the episode itself is doing anything horrible with it, but it's just a horrible term. And so to hear people in the Red Dwarf universe just saying it and getting a laugh, it's it's not what the show's doing with it, it's what society is doing with the term. So I don't like the show using it. Yeah, because I don't like how society uses it. Even it's though not a specific thing about the, Red Dwarf. The, the show isn't being offensive in its use of the term. Exactly. It's just the connotations that it has outside. That's exactly of the show. it. It's it's not that I think there's some jokes that Red Dwarf's done more of. Cock my head and think, well, you know, mm. I don't know, like what you're doing here. But here, it wasn't really what the show was doing. Mm. It's just I don't like the term anyway. Yeah. As Ian said earlier, it they could have made it so much funnier if they'd have used something else and made it a longer one like mm. the same way they did with clitoris yeah making it seem to be well that is that is the holy grail isn't it clitoris yeah. is hard to <laughs> find <laughs> yeah you should know fucking <laughs> 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 hell my own podcast <laughs> who was it was it Mark Thomas was it Mark Thomas who uh, said about the clitoris why do men keep saying it's so difficult to find it's front centre <laughs> Crichton's got one. <laughs> the, there's an alteration that's been made to his costume. It really looks it's like... giant clitoris, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel we've strayed. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about... Here's another thing that people have been happily criticising the episode for. Um, it's... Well, is this a deus ex machina discuss? 
Right, I'll t- I'll tell you what I, I don't. I, I, I'm, I have, not, I'm I, not advocating the use of the term. I'm just offering this as a discussion point. I have watched it twice. I still don't quite get what the fuck happens at the end, and that's my problem. Question: Did you watch it through your skybox or through your sky? Because ah. I think what the explanation is revealed in a model shot, uh, which is when you see the model shot of Siliconia. Uh, there's a label on the side that says Diva Droid Upgrade Station. Yes. Mm-hmm. And That's I think hot. that that, yeah, that <laughs> provides the explanation for what's happening. I think is if you clock that first time, you accept it. So I get, yeah, I, I got the upgrade thing kind of as a, yeah, I didn't notice that's what it said in the shot. Mm. You need, you need, you need to give me more. Yeah. You really need to give me more than that. I, yeah. I'm sorry. Mm. Like, like I'm a Red Dwarf Fan in inverted commas, uh, <laughs> you know, who, who has watched the series, the episode twice, with the knowledge that I'm going to be going on a live dwarfcast to talk about Eventually. it, and I still didn't really quite get it. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I and this is the weird thing that, and again, this is a kind of recurring issue with the Davy era series where it will over explain some things and under explain others. Mm. Um, Related to that is, why did, why did um, Lister's mechanoid hand get chopped off? Was that just a threat or something? It, it was, was a bit... just like a yeah. punishment. <laughs> but then he got, he got given a new one so that then he could. Yeah. I, I got really confused, confused by that. that. I got really confused. He got his hand like... chopped off, and then he got given a new one. So yeah, what was the point? <laughs> yeah, it's like if you're gonna do like the surely the. Surely the correct thing to do there is is the visual of Lister Droid with a gun against him or something. Yeah. Because the threat, all that does is make me think it's something to do with his hand. And it's not. If you're just trying to sell the threat that he's, you know, the threat there, you need security droids behind him with guns. Yeah. You or, don't or do... Knocking the, him out. You don't do the hand thing. And if you if you do the security guard with the um, uh, security job with the guns thing as well, then you're tying into the themes of um, totalitarianism in the episode. Mm. Whereas if you're chopping off someone's hand, well, that's not linked to anything. I did that's not the right visual. If it was an unexplained, like an unexplained thing, because he attaches his new hand, then almost immediately shuts down, restarts, and then <laughs> is. Is like Lister bot. He's not Lister, mm. and wants to fight Crichton. So there so was some sort of Trojan of horse wonder, hand. But mm. I'm having to really that, make a leap to get there. Yeah, yeah. that that is yeah. not in the context. Of, that is not in the text of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's something that you. That is I made mean, up. it could be. Yeah, but I may have just made that. Uh, yeah, and that, and it's, that ties into so so yeah the problem with the muddying of siliconia, the issue with the hand. I didn't really get the whole gladiator star thing they were doing. I yeah, and all that stuff comes at once as well. Yeah, um, and we're back to the old Officer Rimmer <clears throat> problem. I my view on the gladiator all scene is I enjoyed the dialogue that was happening during the fight between Crichton and Lister. Uh, I enjoyed Crichton sort of appealing to to get his list are back and talking about their relationship and, and what they mean to each other. Mm. I just did. I just, why would they fucking have a 
battle with mobs. Yeah, I don't during know. it, it was like I like what that scene does in the character stuff that's happening as it takes place, but it's a weird thing. I I think the episode needed to be smaller. Actually, I really do. Um, either in certainly in execution. I mean, it was a beautiful location, mm. but what are you gaining from doing that in that location? I, I don't I don't see. That seems to me to be going to a location and spending money for the sake of it. Yeah. Because it didn't make it clearer what they were trying to do in that scene. To me, it it's made it more confusing. So, yeah, I don't... Yeah. I, I mean, don't I guess it, it. Was a, it was a way to have everyone in the same place so that when they reached the Diva Droid update station, yeah. everybody was there. And so it wasn't like they were just going to different parts of the ship. They were all in the same mm. room. But, I, I don't criticise yeah. Doug's directing, usually. And the main reason I don't do it is that I don't feel I know enough about directing to criticise yeah. it. And I stand... I usually pull right back from that. But this feels like a directorial issue to me. I don't think the story was particularly clearly told in the last ten minutes, um, and I, that's surely down to the director. I mean, all Crichton almost mumbles, "Update rejected." Mm. Yeah, and then suddenly it's, uh, yeah, you might want to give me a bit more on yeah. that one because uh, that's quite an interesting. Because oh, actually, I want to know why, particularly that it's rejected. Is it because Lister broke his programming? Yeah. Um, it's. I think. Yeah. I think he. It, it, it's again. It's similar to the, to the hand thing. It's there if you want to make the stretch, but it's not in the text. Yeah. Mm. My interpretation is that, uh, this is part of Crichton regaining back choice. He says that um, he hasn't been thinking for himself. He let other people think for him. I think him rejecting the upgrade is him asserting his uh, yeah. self determination. Right. But. It would have worked better if he'd have said that. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting the again with 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 all that. Not only do I not think it was. Um, where was the shot that told me that? Told you yeah. what? Told me about what Crichton was was thinking. You need. Oh, yeah. You need. At that point, what was going on? The screen was so confused with so many people and so many different things and so many bloody lights shining in the background. And so it's like I'm not looking. I can't tell what I'm supposed to be looking at Yeah. in the final bit of that. Yeah, I mean, because I also thought perhaps it was, because obviously if he's, he's getting updates, then that would um, that would amend his programming in various ways as well, and he didn't want that. Yeah. Because then when he's talking to the, the, the two droids at the end, they're all like, they're all the same now, they're all on the same wavelength, and they're doing exactly the same thing, and there's no berets to insight, and yeah. they're all just like, we're going to go and clean things, because that's what we do. They've, uh, yeah, they took the sunglasses <laughs> off and bothered to paint around the eyes <laughs> for that one final scene. Um, I tell you, you haven't mentioned yet. Uh, the huge big guest star that's yes. in it for about three minutes. Yes. <laughs> that's a reason for um, that, isn't it? The, but the, the frustrating thing about that is, I, thought, I mean, I I love the Inbetweeners, and um, I wasn't sure when I heard that um, Buckley was going to be in this because I was kind of tilting my head. And when I heard he was going to be a drawn, like really, actually, I thought it was really good. Yeah. I thought it was really, really good. And I, I really wish we'd seen more of him. Um, I think it's really interesting casting in that. The stuff that he's done, I don't think you'd look at the stuff he's done and think, I know, yeah. <laughs> we'll cast him <laughs> for this role. So, I mean, and Red Dwarf, I mean, throw, despite my my um, my problems with the show throughout the years, I don't think the show's ever really dropped a bollock on the casting. Mm. Um, it's always been superb. Yeah, it's um, 
guest stars being great he and he's no exception he's really good uh i would have actually liked him to interact with um sartre uh quite a bit more actually because mm. because i mean as representatives of the two sides yeah. um it would have been more interesting maybe well more interesting to me i mean <laughs> i can't speak <laughs> for anyone else but uh, to to have more well they don't really interact at all those two uh, and it'd be nice to have so would be nice to have interaction dialogue some sort of um some sort of conflict and then conflict resolution uh and to leave uh, and then everyone's all the other mechanoids say yes we're we're off to clean the you know the universe <laughs> to seek out the untidy which I took me three goes to figure yeah, out what that yeah. line was. I thought it was. I thought Alex. they were saying Antifa at the start, and I thought, "Fucking hell, that's not that's not what we want." This is quickly. <laughs> I uh, I what I was actually about to say thirty minutes ago, and or not thirty minutes ago because you were in here. a fucking car. Twenty yeah. minutes ago um, is when I was talking about the the uh, the pleasant politics of the episode. Mm. It was the um, the fact there's always going to be slaves. I, I really enjoyed that, and I didn't see it coming, and it felt right and pleasant and yeah. good, and a point worth making. Putting out the hypocrisy. Yeah, I the... really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, no, I just... But again, so many ideas. You could have almost cut that whole plot, and you still have too much in the episode. Yeah. Um, and it always feels lazy to say, oh, well, um, uh, it should have been a longer episode. It should have been two-parters. Well... What Red Dwarf? Red Dwarf doesn't do very good two parters. Yeah, so that's... so, 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 so be careful what you wish for. It seems, that, but there was so much going on in that episode. You just kind of look at it and go, because there was I, the way I coming out of it the second watch. I just thought sometimes I come out an episode of Red Dwarf and I think, well, I don't like that, and I don't really want. To. When I come out of Can of Worms, man, I just <laughs> I didn't. I don't ever want to see that episode ever again. But I come out of this it's episode. All right, you don't have to. <laughs> but I but I come out of this episode and I'm I'm really frustrated because I just you almost liked it. Yeah, I almost liked it, <laughs> and I, I almost there were so many good ideas. There were so many. Let's. Uh, I want to kind of wrap up shortly and move on to some other stuff. But um, Joe, you might remember this a little bit from the recording. I'll try. The, the very end of the episode, um, the scene back on Red Dwarf, uh, the sort of status quo establishing one, ends with Crichton um, saying that he's going to go and find a soundproof airlock. Yes. Uh, according to a comment on GNT by uh, C. Wickham, or Quickham, uh, where originally on the recording uh, there was a deleted scene uh, that they removed. When Crichton leaves, Cat and Rimmer enter. They're still doing silly Crichton walks and obeying any orders that they're given, despite the fact that they've been changed back into their original selves. Uh, Lister uses this to get them to provide backing vocals for Don't Be Ovulating Tonight, <laughs> then suggests How About a Sponge Bath? <laughs> I have no memory of this <laughs> I'm not saying that Is Connor Wickham lying to us? I'm not saying that he's he's making that up, but I don't remember that at all. If that's I'm sure case. you would have remembered them doing a song. I don't know. I mean, 
Have we fallen for have we fallen for a dwarf fact? (laughs) (laughs) But I can honestly say I have no memory of it. That doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen because my memory is terrible. But I don't remember that. Tim Shaw says it happened. There you go. We have no reason to disbelieve him. Yes, Tim Tim Shaw's fact. It's like I honestly have no memory of it whatsoever. Maybe (laughs) he says it was filmed three times. Maybe I erased it from my memory because it sounds like it would have been shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't sound promising. Towards the end of a recording, I think you start getting a bit delirious anyway, and I'm yeah. still not entirely sure I didn't hallucinate at the end of the episode that I saw recorded. <laughs> so yeah, I find it really. It could well have just. I mean, it was a long time ago, guys. Give me a it break. Was. Actually, yeah. I mean, it's me trying to remember cured um, when. All of you guys were asking, so which one did you get? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> there wasn't too I watched Kira. Oh, that one, yeah. Oh, Stephen, Stephen Abutman asked, why did they combine three takes for one scene? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I did want to say about the, not the sponge bath thing, because that's weird, but the um, actual end scene of the episode. Yes. Um, I, uh, I quite enjoyed, just as a little um, sort of, Crichton list of relationship thing because obviously he spends or sort of in the in the early parts of the episode um, ignoring what Rimmer wants mm. so that he can get the guitar back for Lister, yeah. and then it turns out that he knows how shit Lister is and that he's terrible, <laughs> but he goes that extra mile for him because he cares about yeah. him, which is just a nice little touch that I quite like, and also because he doesn't like Rimmer, and I think the. Uh, Rimmering, rimmering as a verb was, was, was I did enjoy <laughs> rimmering. I, I have to say, I, you love a good rimmering. Rimmering. I do enjoy good rimmering. Uh, on that note, I think we'll uh, we'll take a, a, a short break uh, very soon. Uh, keep your comments coming in via our Spreaker page or by tweeting us at Ganymede Titan, uh, because we'll shortly be rifling through your small points. So if there are any minor details from the one where everyone's Crichton or Tawek. 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 Fucking hell, people. Tawek. Yes. So if there, are any, if there are any minor details from this episode that we haven't yet covered, now's the time to tell us about them. Uh, but we'll be right back after these messages. On Monday, Red Dwarf blasts off on an intergalactic mission manned by a select crew of... Well, take second technician Rimmer, for instance. He's a man devoted to duty. Is that a cigarette you're smoking, mister? No, it's a chicken. (laughs) Right, you're on report. A man spurred on by ambition. Mister, I have an exam tomorrow which I intend to pass. I know, yeah, by cheating. This is not cheating. (laughs) Why don't you hand your body in and let them mark that? A man misunderstood by his superiors. And Lister. I try and expect Rimmer and everything, but it's not easy because he's such a smeghead. Lister, on the other hand, has no devotion to anything, little ambition, and is a source of constant surprise to everyone. Lister, not only are you so stupid, you bring aboard an unquarantined animal and jeopardize every man and woman on this ship. Not only that, but you take a photograph of yourself with the cat and send it to be processed in the ship's lab. And the rest of the crew, well, you'll just have to join Red Dwarf on Monday at 9 o'clock on 2. See this old table? I'm going to sand it down. Not with sandpaper. With this. With sandplate, you sand to a perfect finish in a fraction of the time. 
is the sand plate for every sanding job. Shake hands. Big or small. And when you're finished, your sand plate won't be. Next. New sand plate from Sandvik. One at a time, please. Wallop, I've just been hit by my car insurance. So I hunt around for a better deal. But what can I expect for my money? Travelling abroad, sir. That's extra. Courtesy car? Oh, we don't do those. Oh, but you do get a complimentary tax disc holder. With Prue, the only surprise is that you get free green flag breakdown cover. And you could save up to £130. Even more online. Oh, I'll do it now. Call 0800 0327 481 or visit prue.co.uk. Why, hi, y'all. I'm here to say that if y'all are staying down in the South and you's looking for some of the best deals on Fiat's, then you all want to visit Premier Motors, first for Fiat in the South, because they got one of the greatest after-sales services, over 20 years' experience, and darn it, if they ain't got about the neatest credit terms this side of Fulham, my grandpappy's Stonewall Jackson. We want to be able to live a little... I want to be able to live a lot. I want to be able to go out once in a while. I want to be out every night. I want to be able to enjoy the garden. I want to be able to stuff the garden, hire a big yacht and disappear around the world. More and more women are taking control of their futures with a personal pension of their own. We want to be together. Whatever your plans for later life, you want to be with Prudential. And welcome back. Uh, yes, uh, it's small points time, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Shall we start with some uh, a couple of small points from the internet, and then we'll have some small points from the room. Um, <laughs> uh, Tim Shaw says that Lister's head changes shape slightly when he says "smee he." <laughs> uh, and that's that's another callback earlier that we missed the smeehee. Yes. Um Curtis wants us to discuss as his small point, uh it's almost to the day, which is a phrase that Crichton uses towards the start. He says it's almost to the day that uh, we flush Lister's guitar into space. Mm. What the fuck does almost to the day mean? I yeah, that's weird. I was thinking oh no, I, I can't I must not have heard the, no, no. Yeah, that's okay. weird. That doesn't work. <laughs> Oh, isn't it nice when it's not you? Yeah. Uh, oh, a further, Curtis has got a, a pair of small points that is dangling in our faces today. <laughs> he says, Cat uh, saying, do you need serving is perhaps the sweetest Red Dwarf has ever been, and I really liked it. <laughs> um, does Who's got a small point? I've got a small point. All right, so the bit uh-huh. where Cat is told to break his finger yes can mechs feel pain because hmm. think back to the start of terraform where Crichton's lying in half and he he's not unscrews. in pain yeah mm. I, I just saw that immediately and i thought really well maybe it's again a stretch a, yes. fa- a, a head cannon thing but um maybe it's because he's still got the personality of the cat and not a personality of a mech his his pleasure and pain responses remain the same until further notice. Oh, he's such a diva that he thinks he ought yeah. to be in pain. <laughs> and so he reacts as if he is. Yeah. Uh, I have one other small point, which I'll get to. I really, really liked the mention of uh, Asimov's First Law. Mm. Because there is a long and uh, pleasant tradition of every single other science fiction series 
no matter what else they disagree about, yeah. <laughs> they will go for as well yeah. as robotic, laws of robotics. And even Next Generation does yeah. it. Um, and that was really pleasant. Yeah. And what a brilliant answer to it as well. It was mm. really well thought through, the, the idea that... Um, uh, far better thought through, in fact, than I, I, I'm currently managing. <laughs> well, but, uh, but the idea that you, these humans will be hurt and die if you don't transplant yeah, them. The yeah, the whole... Yeah. It's putting out a flaw in the original Asimov's law. Yeah. It was really good. That was really, really well thought through, I thought. However, Theo Pollard's small point is that um, the mech wearing the beret threatens to break the cat's neck, but then they, talk, they establish that uh, mechanoids can't harm humans and their cohorts. Uh, well, it's only a threat. It didn't <laughs> yeah. actually do it. <laughs> Mechanoids can threaten people. <laughs> yeah, and their cohorts is a caveat we've not heard before, though. I think it. Ah, uh, is it? I. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, it, rang, it rang a bell with me as being part of the actual proper Asimov's law, but I might be wrong. Maybe that was added for that purpose, so so that you can say, "Well, Cat and Rimmer aren't human, so I can harm them." Hmm. Oh yeah, I, I guess my, my point is like, and their cohorts, you know, been a red dwarf thing. I guess it's always been very black and white. Mm. You cannot harm humans, which means it's really easy to twist your way out of it in a logic yeah. way. So I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Hudson yeah, Jen's whole thing. A yeah. law that's actually written to not be uh, to, to, to kind of protect against those sorts of exploits. I guess. Yeah. Uh, also, one other small point. My last one. Jesus. I really enjoyed the fact that we got the uh, thanks for the memory music cue. That was one of my small points. Oh, as well. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I apologise. Uh, that's fine. I have another one in that um, slightly earlier. I think. Oh no! It's the first time Crichton goes up uh, to meet the Beret people. Um, you you pan across the room and you can see a, a mechanoid reading a magazine, and the magazine is called Mech's Health. It's a, <laughs> a mock-up based on men's health. <laughs> uh, has anyone else got a small, a small point? I have a couple of small points. Oh, I bet you do. Well, you have had a child recently. The first one it... <laughs> that sounds like it should be a joke. I'm not sure but what it's... it actually means. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first one is more of a series-wide thing. that They need to stop using um, Red Dwarf flyby cues that have previously only been used as like middle transitions at the start of the episode. Right, yeah. Mm. Procured on this episode, the first Red Dwarf flyby is being... Like the one that goes up an octave, which is something it's a that semitone almost... higher. In my mind, that makes yeah. me think of the middle of an episode. You know, yeah. yeah. When jeopardy, when there's jeopardy in the episode, and there's something that's been established, and it's not, it's not yeah. a starter. It's a, it's a, it's a jury. I totally. <laughs> My other one's a bit more episode-specific. So when, when they first go into the MILF headquarters and you can see it's the, it's the big shot with probably the most mechanised you can see all at once, have they reused the, the same technique they used in Officer Rimmer and copied the same mechanoid about ten times? Because <laughs> it made me think either it's an incredibly impressive feat of uh, makeup or they've got just one person constantly split-screened and blue-screened on. I, I don't know if there is... I wouldn't say that there's no uh, extra augmentation, but there were definitely 20-odd, we heard. Yeah. 20-odd uh, real-life real mechanoids in the scene. Uh, so, yeah, they may, well, they, may have, they may have done some doubling up, but there were still an impressive number of them. And that's why I would imagine so many of them had sunglasses on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
regardless of any shortcuts that was i mean it's something to be like the production value the the look i think definitely um and the production value throughout the episode is something to be commended regardless of yeah anything else uh, any other small points no i don't have a small point this week no and if you have, I can't find it. <laughs> uh, so, should we move on to uh, some news? Da, 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 da. I should have had a sting for some news, shouldn't I? Let's see if I've got a. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> God, it's so professional. Uh, that, that, that bell was our sting for, uh, for some news. <laughs> um, yeah, so some news. Um, there's a new t shirt out uh, Muggs Murphy t shirt. Nice. Everyone seen that? Yep. Do you like it? Yeah, that's a good. Mugs Murphy one. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, so it's the white T-shirt. Yeah, like the screen. Uh, the uh, one that rips off the Dimension Jump logo. <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, because the Dimension Jump ones are on black T-shirts with a coloured Mugs Murphy logo. Oh, they got us. Um, <laughs> the the ones that they have released are on the white T-shirt with just like the black outline logo. Uh, I apologise yeah, to classic. anyone who may have been startled by the some news bell. Uh, I didn't realise <laughs> apparently that was quite loud. <laughs> Just make sure you pay attention. <laughs> God, this is going so well this week, isn't it? So, uh, in other news, in other some news, let's not do the jingle again, but in other some news... Um, the Series 12 DVD is uh, starting to be listed on Amazon and a couple of other places with some artwork, which I I doubt that it is the finished artwork because they often get released with mock-ups at this stage. But what is currently on the artwork is the photo of everyone being Crichton. Whereas I would have thought it would make more sense to put a, a more generic <laughs> cast shot because that yeah. was that was the first one to be released. That was the first like official publicity shot. But then that was quickly followed by a more conventional, the four. Yeah, the teleporting one. Yeah, would yeah. Make which which is like the default series twelve picture, and previously the default series ten and default series eleven picture of the ones that are used on the DVD. So I would assume that it will also be. Yeah. Like that. I, I'm just remembering the days where Ganymede and Titan was tricked by fake series three yes. cover art. Which was just the Series 2 cover art with, a, <laughs> with, a, with more yellow. We, 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 were, we were yeah, learning exactly so much about how the world works. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-fake news and yet... We managed to, we managed to impress Jonathan Capps. <laughs> no, you can't well. give it to me. Um, so another sub <coughs> news. Uh, Rob Grant has a new sitcom. Mm-hmm. Which is good. We first reported this. John, I think, first reported this a few. Oh, months where ago. did I hear it? Someone. Oh, uh, it was on Twitter, wasn't on it? Twitter, Andrew Marshall. Andrew Marshall, who's the co-writer of the sitcom, uh, tweeted about it. Uh, it's for Radio Four, six-parter, uh, written by Rob Grant and Andrew Marshall. And what would people know Andrew Marshall from? Two children, and also uh, End of Part One, mm. which is so previously extremely, extremely oh, good. Previously, he's only done shows with numbers in the title. Is what was <laughs> uh, the and, t- and also, Marshall wrote on uh, Alexis Hell stuff, didn't he? I'm uh, sure he, he did. Yeah. He's the former writing partner of David Renwick. Yeah, I'm sure Marshall yeah. worked on stuff. So maybe we can have a David Renwick and Doug Naylor sitcom as well. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite side, like pin and cushion. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that, that would be quite something. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it would be bleak. Yes. <laughs> 
but nevertheless, this. As a side note. Yes. Side note. Sorry, I'll just cut it. As a side note, is this the best or worst time to announce a new Rob Grant thing? I can't figure it out. While Red Dwarf is on telly. You mean. Well, while it's buried, because GNT, prominent Red Dwarf fan site, yeah. doesn't have a new story about this. <laughs> we don't have room. Because it's a bit busy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, I guess it's a strange one. Yeah, it was also it was announced alongside a new god awful look sounding and looking uh, series of hitchhikers. Yeah. Even though they finished yeah. doing all the hitchhikers, now they're now doing the pretend hitchhikers, and uh, John Lloyd is going to be the voice of the book, and he shit as the voice of the book uh, from the <laughs> bits that I've heard. But anyway, it was announced alongside that, so obviously a new series of Hitchhikers is going to take the uh, lead on the on that press release. This could all be very good. I, I really like the idea of um, Marshall and Grant just sitting there and writing something kind of without some horrible weight of expectation, just landing down on it yeah. and just being able to write something and getting it put out there and seeing what it's like. Well, it's called the Quanderhorn Experimentations, uh, with no E at the start of experimentations. Uh, and the synopsis is, it's 1952 permanently. Reality is trapped in a time loop by Professor Darius Quanderhorn's bizarre experimentations. His ragbag team face threats and terrors beyond human understanding on a daily basis, together with their own neuroses. So it's a quite mass piss tape, basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've just got that. Yeah. <laughs> In a similar way to I only just got the I'm a fish thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've just got that. That's a quite um, mass reference. Gordon Kennedy's involved as well, isn't he? Uh, it's, it's being produced by Absolutely Productions, yeah. who produce Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think yeah, I think it is Gordon Kennedy whose name's attached as yeah. producer or exec. Or oh, Gordon Kennedy nearly corpsing in the last day is one of the finest moments in the whole of it's absolutely extraordinary and I love even more that they didn't retake it and they just left it in it's brilliant uh, so there's again some news from 1989 uh, but <laughs> uh, the other bit of some news is that there's a new trailer uh, which I have seen once Joe has seen once because she was sat here with me yes. have either of you yeah. seen nope, it? no I've not seen it Danny and Capsie haven't seen it either because we were talking about it earlier <laughs> It's uh, it hasn't turned up online yet, as far as I've been able to tell. So if you're listening and you happen to have captured it, please let us know what illicit places we can find it. So that if I find time between doing all the episode coverage, then I can do another little breakdown of it. The one thing that I remember from it, which was very much striking, and this isn't this has been on Dave, so it's not spoilers to say it, but here's a, here's a detail from a later episode. Uh, the trailer shows Lister dressed as he was in the end. Uh, leaning his hands on his cheeks and going I'll tell you something that's very pleasing about uh, Red Dwarf and Dave that they are they keep pumping out the trailers Yeah, they don't just do the trailers before the series starts and as soon as the series starts they just stop or what the BBC usually does which is they do one trailer there's a very very funny um, W1A trailer but they just reuse it every week Mm. uh, and they don't add new clips or change anything and it's to Dave's credit they actually do a decent job with this stuff yeah and it's yeah it's um, so this trailer was a post episode one trailer I mean, it would have made sense to put it on directly after episode one, <laughs> but it wasn't. It was in the ad break in Zapped, which was the program that followed. Uh, so yeah. I sort of half saw it out the corner of my eye and going, "Oh shit, this is a new one." Um, and yeah, but it's it's a it's 
as far as I remember, it's, they've removed any clips from Cured, and it's all stuff from episodes uh, two to five. So it's yeah, it's proper like excellent. episode, not episodic because it's not just one episode. Because yeah, in series ten we got that, didn't we? We got a little trailer for each episode, which was that like, is straight afterwards. It was a little preview, but then the waters weren't muddied. Uh, on series 10 in the same way that they are now also do I recall those series 10 ones weren't actually that great were they a little bit like the early next time trailers <laughs> yeah, I think they were yeah. I think they were well they were useful at the time I remember because um, we used to mine them for quotes to use <laughs> in articles but now we don't have that the, the only thing I'd say is it'd be really nice if um, there was some specially shot stuff again for, for the trailers I mm. don't think there hasn't <clears> been any of that since uh Oh, is it actually Series 10 and the polishing of the Dave logo and all that? Yeah, I don't. Oh, yeah. yeah. be really nice. There was, yes, Back to Earth had special I don't as well. But yeah, now for Series 11 and 12, they've just had the the, the ship in space in the Dave logo. I, I would really, wouldn't it be lovely if they could do kind of six times 30 second, just specially shot trailers, little but, sketches. Yeah. Exactly as good as the children need. <laughs> so, that's, that's what we want. That's the gold standard. <laughs> so yeah. So the other news <coughs> this week is that um, Red Dwarf has launched its own lager, which was <laughs> it's just it's a strange thing to have happened. <laughs> I think who was it? <coughs> it was a, I think it was Chris Carter. Apologies if it's if it's not Chris Carter who said this, but. In series ten, they launched a can of lager into space, and in series twelve, they've launched a lager. <laughs> Full stop. Uh, so, Joe, you were at the uh, the press launch of Leopard Lager on Tuesday, were you not? I was indeed. Tell us. I'll tell you about that. Um, yes. Yeah, so, um, the company that was organising it um, is a company called Bang Boom Creative. They dropped um, me an email, um, sort of as a representative of the fan club. Um, just basically saying sort of a brief outline of what was going on that it was the Daily Mirror and Dave and they were going to be doing this promo with with Leopard Lager and they wanted fan club members involved specifically fan club members in cosplay Hmm. Um, and could I get them all to London for 10am in like five days (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that was kind of <coughs> most of my weekend. <laughs> um, was trying to find, and also I wasn't allowed to put out a call either because they wanted to keep it a secret. So I wasn't allowed to just put a tweet out and say, "Hey, are you a cosplayer? Can you be in London?" Because they were like, "No, no, no, we want like ten people." Um, so I had to surreptitiously message lots of cosplayers. Um, and see who I could get down. We actually got a good group down. Uh, Don, who's on the chat, you, was one of the people. You got, you got a good group, and Alex Newsom was there. As <laughs> and well. Alex Newsom was also there too. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was odd. It was, I still find it really strange that they're actually <laughs> doing that. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really good. We basically just sort of um, went along. They gave us a load of bottles of lager and took a lot of photos of mainly the cosplayers Mm. um and then doug turned up weirdly in the middle of us singing the red dwarf theme tune (laughs) because i bet he loves that (laughs) no one ever does that to him um it's like it's like we planned it but we really didn't i think the photographer was trying to get us to relax he was trying to take photos where people were just like dotted around. He's like, don't look at the camera, like look at each other, like just chat as if you're in the pub. 
and then so like to get everyone to relax he kind of was like oh come on let's sing the sing the song and then i turned around and i noticed doug had appeared (laughs) (laughs) so that was fun um i have to say having to sing the song really wouldn't relax me (laughs) (laughs) oh it's all right because there are people like not as like i'm making sweeping statements here but generally cosplayers (laughs) are quite happy to be centre of attention and you know yeah. and have that kind of personality. So I think it was uh, Kerry King Neal who was uh, dressed up as one of the high crew who just basically kicked it all off, and she's quite happy to just you know go jump straight in mm. there. So that was nice. So like she kind of just took the lead on that. Um, but yeah, it was really good. And then Doug um, Doug came over and they took various photos of him with the crowd with like the crowd of cosplayers and then behind the bar and. Um, and then yeah, and then we got to have a few photos with him and have a little chat with him, which was nice. He stuck around and and had a conversation with us. And there's a few other people. Kerry Waddell was there from Baby Cow, um, Ben from UKTV, and then some other like Dave and Daily Mirror people. And yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the Daily Mirror were uh, the ones doing this promotion. They've had lots of Red Dwarf related coverage, both online and in the paper. <laughs> um, Pete said in the in the comments, someone in the Mirror newsroom loves Red Dwarf. I think. What is more the case is that um, someone in the Mirror newsroom likes getting paid by UKTV <laughs> to yeah. do advertising features because they're all marked as advertising yeah. features in the uh, in the paper. But yeah, there was a good spread. It was like it was twelve facts for series twelve. Yeah. And actually, the, my only complaints about them were extremely nitpicky. They were broadly accurate, <laughs> which is the best you can hope for. <laughs> but what we need to investigate now is: Has Doug's uh, voicemail been hacked? <laughs> uh, I was wondering what our coverage would be if it was the sun. <laughs> I think I know what I think be. I know what our coverage would be. It would <laughs> smash all the leopard lager. <laughs> but it's not. Um and so what we what we can do now, live and exclusive on this very podcast, is taste some of this delicious lager beer. <laughs> oh, you speak so fondly about I have take a glass, pass it on. We've got one bottle of beer between four. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. And um, we got more, but like St. Patrick said he wants one. So. Yeah, no gobshite. <laughs> so take yourself some leopard lager. This is really good one. for audio. Yeah. <laughs> Great radio. Describe well, your lager beer. It smells quite hoppy for lager. Can I just say, I hate any lager. Okay, so this, so this is, is going to go is, well. Yeah, this is... Um, Ideal. Yeah. yeah. Um... It's the first thing I notice from looking at the label is that this is what's the percentage? Uh, that would be three point five percent. This is a very low alcohol lager <laughs> uh, compared to uh, five point one percent on the prop that appears in the show. Well, isn't that because Red Dwarf's for kids? Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. Smells like lager. I did wonder if there was like a lager. reason, like if you're giving away lager for free, it can't be <laughs> over five percent or something. So let's have a. Mm. It's bringing back memories of cheap student nights. <laughs> it's fucking rank. <laughs> That's really not very good at Please all, is it? Please note that this has been chilling for like two days. Yeah. So it is completely cold. We put it in the fridge. As, and yet still. As told by Doug that it was better when it was cold. I mean, it's not. It's, it's got a bit of a bite as it goes down. It's a it's little very, bit rough. It is. It's unrefined, I'd say. For something that's only 3.5%, it, it fucking puts hairs on your Yeah, I hairs honestly on your hairs. was surprised when I thing saw it, that it was 3.5%. Yeah. The thing, is, a lot thing is, I have just come back from spending, come. T- spending 10 days in Bordeaux. Where we so, drank really fucking good wine. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> 
Well, Morning Monkey says we should be bigging it up, but should we? Because it's not like it's on sale, it's no, free. I, we're we're not, not like, yeah. paid to <laughs> no. sell what it, it. What it does is it comes in an absolutely lovely bottle. Oh, yeah, the bottle. The, the design it of it is great. Mm. It's got the JMC logo on it. No, it's the bottle's good. completely screen accurate. Uh, the font is correct. <laughs> it's got a bit of micro gamma on the side. It's got lovely logos everywhere. Uh, it's just... Oh. It's, see, it's affected him already. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> a quarter of a bottle of lager in his head. <laughs> Last week it was wine. This week it's lager. <laughs> yeah. At least none of us are as, uh, as uh, refreshed as Clayton Hickman was at this time. Last week. <laughs> It's kind of horrible. I'm not going to drink the rest of this, I'll be no. honest. <laughs> yeah, but the worrying thing is that I am. Well, go for it. <laughs> Somebody should. Uh, apparently... Oh, uh, my God. Oh. Apparently, <laughs> alongside the uh, the Sum News bell, uh, people have been similarly affected by that burp. I'm <laughs> 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 probably that low. I think... Uh, <laughs> let, let's oh. quit while we're behind. So uh, the only remaining business is uh, to take a quick look ahead at Time Wave, which is happening this time next week, and it's the one where uh, you've got Johnny Vegas <laughs> dressed as a pink policeman, yes, uh, who is part of the Criticism Police, something like that, something yeah, like crit, crit cops, crit cops, yeah. Oh God, I'm not hugely enamoured <laughs> by John. <laughs> Control yourself, man. <laughs> you stole fizzy lifting drinks. Uh, I'm not in hugely enamoured by the the concept, but I am hugely enamoured by Johnny Vegas. Mm, yes. So I'm, I'm retaining some degree of optimism. I really love the idea of Johnny Vegas and Red Dwarf, but even I'm worried about those pictures, and you know what I'm like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if it's really stupid, I tend to be on board, but this is... yeah. What I, what I am hoping is that... The sort of some of the stuff that was said in earlier interviews about the episode turns out to be not uh, nothing to worry about. Specifically, Robert saying that they it, that it's about political correctness and and the yeah, PC system that we've got now. Worrying. For a start, that didn't really sound like something Robert would say. No, Robert, who has a YouTube series called Wet Liberal Weekly, <laughs> doesn't strike me as the type to be anti-political correctness. Um, but I just hope that that's just a bit of marketing noise. Stuff. Yeah, I just a bit of noise. stuff that isn't really representative of the episode. Uh, I mean, all the worries really come down to that that Radio Times article. Yeah, um, I forget the name of the the, jur- the journalist now, but it, it was it was just the phrase about in today's easily triggered online world, like that horse shit. That, yeah. That's where like the real kind of feeling of dread comes from. Like I trust Doug. To, to, to you know, to not be on the wrong side of stuff like this, I absolutely do. But it's just coverage like that is what is what's put me on edge more than anything. Not any sort of distrust that Doug can, you know, will do this badly. Yeah. And to think we all thought the worst writer for the Radio Times was Alison Graham. <laughs> so at least we learnt something. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe he hasn't quite reached that level just yet. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we will um, we'll be talking about that next week. But what when will we see the episode next week? Because I think we should talk uh, oh. as our sort of final note on Siliconia. <laughs> that was a tense hour and a half last night. <laughs> <wasn't it? laughs> Bloody hell! <coughs> because we like all day we were kind of refreshing the page because we 
I hoped, uh, and I'm on the record saying that this this was what I would have like. My preference was to wait until after uh, the episode had aired on TV before releasing the next one online. Yeah. I was worried that it was just going to be so messy and so fractious if they'd have done it beforehand. So credit where it's due, we commend them for you know best of a bad situation. At least they held it back until after broadcast. Yeah. But we were kind of expecting it to be immediately after broadcast, mm. and so we had a good old hour of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of increasingly angry um, hashtag feeds on Twitter, and no communication from U- any of UK TV Plays accounts, which was the really frustrating thing. Yeah. Because when it was available, they immediately started replying to the comments that they'd received Same from people up. asking, where is it, where is it, where is it? When it was up, they said, here it is. And I appreciate that. Uh, you know, as a social media policy to re- to reply to those people with the information, but it just please just tell us what time it's going to be. There, next this time. is this is a really big problem with um, an awful lot of on demand stuff. Time yeah. does not seem to be thought about as much as date. But when you give me a date, that, there is twenty four hours. Yeah. That. and whether it's released in the morning or in the evening or even what point, it actually matters. Yeah, um, I'm not saying it needs to be right to the minute or to the second although yeah. in my job i am right indeed to the second mm. when i put something on air nonetheless it doesn't have to be for on demand but a general idea of the hour <laughs> might yeah. be a nice thing and to it, do you know, pe- people stayed up later than they intended to as a result yeah. because they thought it was going to be straight away and so if pe- if we were told in advance it will be about half past 10 which is what it was yeah then people would have made a decision to go to bed earlier or they would have made the conscious yeah. choice to stay up and wait yeah. for it um as yeah i mean speaking well obviously we're both me and john are both in linear broadcast where time is incredibly important and keeping to it is incredibly important i suppose we are both i mean uh, along with everybody else i think a bit bemused that um putting things online is now a reasonably well established thing yeah. that people do and yet there seems to be no kind of um performance indicators around when it's done or indeed any kind of consideration of the consumer which is a little bit weird given that we're repeatedly being told that's the future of television i've we've we've had this kind of we've talked about this before i don't think we have in public but we've talked we have talked about it in private i remember and i think we we both got to a point because we were actually slightly disagreed no we actually got to the point where we both agreed well the, the thing is like in our professional lives John and Tanya work in linear broadcast TV. <laughs> I work in putting telly on the internet, and so there's naturally a bit of a, a clash in our perspectives. But what we do agree on is we understand the reasons why they won't give a specific time, yeah. which is that they think the servers will crash and they don't want too much demand, they don't want everyone going on at once. But the counterpoint oh. to that is they should be able to cope with that. That is not a reason, it's an excuse. And in, in 2017, yeah. in 2014, 13, 12, whatever, there was, you know, understandable. In 2017, it if, really yeah, isn't. If, I mean, if, if you want to plug it as a mainstream thing and try and make it go mainstream, then people are going to, people then get very angry. Yeah. Because they're used to the idea of getting stuff at a particular time because of linear broadcast, uh, and you know, you spent we've spent the last sorry, I just <laughs> seventy some... odd years being used to that concept. I just absentmindedly <laughs> drank some leopard lager because I was thirsty. Uh, I won't be doing that again. <laughs> but the thing is, like. 
they had they still had that so they're saying oh we're not going to tell you when it's going online because we don't want loads of people like taking up the server but they still had that so because people as soon as the episode finished i mean they had it all day they, anyway. made, it, they made it worse yeah. for themselves but they made it worse because then they had between, people watch the episode between 9 40 yeah. and it going online they must have had far more hits than they would have done if it had been people up straight refreshing away. the page because yeah i was refreshing it every tweeting. 20 seconds or so yeah, the only time I wasn't refreshing was when I was on Twitter going, where the fuck is this fucking episode? <laughs> Basically, in, in 2017, if that's what they want to do, that's fine, but it needs to be... It needs to be needs better. To be better. It, at this point, it needs to and be I better. Think, and I think, to be fair, sort of, it ended yesterday with some positivity on Twitter. I mean, looking back, you know, as soon as you're out of that moment of frustration, you think, oh, well, well you know, first world problems. <laughs> like, it's not a major mm. thing. But in the context of this, I think it's worth making a noise about... Uh, but it kind of ended on a more positive note where we got a reply from UK TV Press um, saying, you know, here's the episode. And I kind of said, please, could you just let us know next time when it's going to be up? And they said that they're passing the feedback on. And it seemed to be, I, I would hope that the volume of feedback that they got last mm. night will be taken on board. Yeah. And just like all we want is some communication. That's what yeah. we, we want. That, that's what we, we want. We want to know where we stand. It doesn't matter when it is, but just tell us. Like, I mean, it's already annoying because it's a week in advance. But like, just tell us when it is, so we know, and then we can like people can plan. And yeah. also, p- people thought Rick and Morty fans were bad. I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, as I say, it's it's the thing where um, a company pushes and pushes and pushes its online portal because it feels that you know that's where the future is and maybe it is but um if you, they can't back it up with enough capacity it then completely disproves what they're trying to mm. say to you and me, me and john end up going see <laughs> to to play devil's advocate mm. i don't know the situation but from working in the industry i would imagine that uh, the reason why it's not as good is because there's not enough funding in it, there's mm. not enough resource, there's not yeah. enough people working on it. And so, yeah, I, I understand. I completely understand why it is like it is, but what we're saying is, it's 2017, fuck your ideas up. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're going to offer this service, you should be able to... to it, 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 yeah. sh- it should be as good as oh. the alternative, and mm-hmm. it's currently mm-hmm. not. Uh, yeah. yeah. And if, the, yeah, if, they're, if, they're fo- if that's what their focus is... Because they're they're saying, oh well, you know, people who get to watch it online get to watch it a week earlier. So that's clearly your focus. Mm. So then make it fucking make good. it better. Yes. <laughs> well, so <Anyway>. that's us. <laughs> do, do it better. That, that's us telling uh, professionals how to, how we do it from our trademark armchair psychologist point of view. Uh, so I think I think that's it for tonight. Um, thank you to our guest Joe Sharples, and a very very big thank you to all of you who listened along live. Uh, if you missed any of tonight's show, it will be available on www.ganymede.tv uh, tomorrow, that's Saturday, uh, followed at some point later on by my very own in-depth written review of The One Where Everyone's Crichton, or Tawek. 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 We'll be back for the next live Dwarfcast at 9pm next Friday, providing the crit cops don't get to us first. Uh, but for now, it says in my script we're all off to polish off that leopard lager, but we're not. <laughs> Uh, we're off to pour that leopard lager down the drain, but we will keep the bottle. Uh, so, uh, until next week, Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. <laughs>